can see I'm gonna have fun keeping my notes and everything here. <laughs> Isn't it neat that God designed that there's wind after seven inches of rain? It's a good thing we need it <laughs> to dry out and I'm grateful for a, a pleasant morning to be outside this morning. Hopefully I can figure out a way to keep everything here and I'd like to speak to you briefly this morning from the life of Joseph. Grab my paper I lost. I may just have to hold this. Um, <clears throat> Let me just flip the page here to where I want to be and we'll weight it down. Here. Okay. Thank you. Drop that up here. Thank you, Gene. You know, when God prepares us for something, He rarely does it the way that we would, or He rarely does it, I should say, the way I would. Often that preparation involves suffering. Ah, thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you, Joe. I think that's going to help tremendously. So when God prepares us for something, he rarely does it the way that I would. Let me give you several examples from Scripture. First, think of Moses. Moses spent about 40 years in the palace of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He had the best education the world could offer at the time and military training. He ended up running for his life and spent the next 40 years on the backside of the desert, out in the wilderness herding sheep. That's not the way, I wouldn't have thought of that as a way of preparing a man to lead God's people. But that's what God did. What about King David? King David was a shepherd in his youth, and then he spent his early adult years running for his life from jealous King Saul, the man David refused to harm. But he was running for his life. Yet God used that to prepare David to be king. Switching to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote much of the New Testament from prison, although he didn't commit a crime. Did nothing wrong. Apostle John was banished to the Isle of Patmos because he loved Jesus and there spent his time writing what Jesus Christ revealed to him, the book of Revelation. Before God could work through Joseph to save his family, the nation of Egypt, and most of the known world from starvation, he needed to prepare Joseph. That preparation was painful, unfair, and long, to be exact, about 13 years. That's a long preparation. We have Joseph's whole life story in front of us in the Bible. So it's easy for us to see how God was preparing him for what God wanted to do through him in the future. But Joseph didn't have that. Joseph couldn't see that. He had to trust God for the future as events unfolded completely out of his control. 
the one thing he could control was whether he would believe God or not. Where we ended last time was in, in Genesis chapter 39. Flip back to that. We ended in Genesis chapter 39 where Joseph's master took him and put him in prison because of the false charge, a false accusation from Potiphar's wife. He was thrown into prison and God showed him mercy, it says, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put him in charge of the other prisoners. And he didn't worry about a thing as long as Joseph was in charge because, Scripture tells us, four times in one chapter, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Now, that may make it sound easy. However, I don't think Joseph's life was easy. In fact, I think it was very difficult. In spite of God's presence with him, God's presence could give him peace. But I don't think it made his life easy, nor will it ours. So we leave with Joseph in prison. I want to turn to Psalm 105 and read four verses there that maybe tell us, describe for us a bit, they tell us a bit more what it was like for Joseph in prison. Psalm 105, verses 17 to 20. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, the ruler of the people, let him go free. So Psalm 105 tells us he was hurt with fetters and he was laid in irons. You picture what that was like. In Genesis chapter 40 that I'm looking at today, in verse 15, Joseph calls the prison a pit. It's the same word that was used to describe the same Hebrew word used to describe the pit or cistern where his brothers threw him in Genesis chapter 37, just before he was sold as a slave. What was it like in prison? Prisoners in those days didn't have the rights or the comforts that prisoners today in the United States do. There was no AC or indoor plumbing, very likely infested with rats and mice. Iron chains cutting into the skin hampering every movement. What was it like in prison? Long days, longer nights, boringly routine, monotonously mundane. Plenty of time to think about how unfairly you've been treated. I think prison was a place where it would be easy for a man to become hard and bitter. <clears throat> Turning to Genesis chapter 40. I'm going to read this. Uh, I think I'll break it into sections instead of reading it all at once. Let's start by, begin by reading uh, Genesis 40, 1 through 4. Then it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. 
So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, in the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. So these two men offended Pharaoh. He's upset with them. You know, the butler or cupbearer was not only responsible for serving the king his drink, but he was responsible to make sure it hadn't been tampered with in any way. He's the chief butler. He's responsible for all the other butlers. There would have been a number of them. They wrote on rotating shifts, but he oversaw all of them. The chief baker would have been a very similar job. He was directly responsible for the preparation of and serving the king's food, making sure nobody messed with what came to the king. These were men that Pharaoh trusted with his life. They had direct access to him. But apparently he had reason to doubt these men. There was something cast suspicion on them. And apparently he didn't know who was responsible, so he threw both of them into prison while he checked things out to see what's, what actually happened, looked for evidence as to who's the guilty party, and who's innocent. So these high officials from Pharaoh's court are in prison, and Joseph is put in charge with them, in charge of them. Did you notice who put him in charge of them? It was the captain of the guard. Do you remember that from earlier in, in Genesis chapter 37 when we were introduced to Potiphar? When Potiphar buys Joseph, he's described as the captain of the guard. I never caught that in reading the story of Joseph. I never caught that before, but it was Potiphar who gave, Joseph the, gave these important prisoners into Joseph's care. I don't think Potiphar believed his wife's story. Number one, Joseph would have been killed immediately if he had actually molested Potiphar's wife, if, if Potiphar really believed that. He would have been killed, executed immediately. Second, Potiphar certainly wouldn't have put important political prisoners like this in, into the care of someone he didn't trust. Clearly, he still trusted Joseph. Let's move to verses 5 to 8. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We have each had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. If you were Joseph, how would you feel about dreams by now? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Remember Joseph had two dreams at the age of 17. And he told his brothers the dreams. They caused him nothing but trouble. His brothers wanted to kill him and then ended up selling him into slavery. In his situation, it would be very easy to say, dreams, Pfft, forget those. Boy, I'm staying far away from dreams. I want nothing to do with them. They'll cause you trouble. 
That would be the natural response. But Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph clearly believed that God would fulfill the dreams he had given him as a teenager. Joseph looked beyond his unfair, difficult circumstances to the God that he believed was still in control, in spite of how his circumstances looked. His circumstances said, God's forgotten you. You're in prison. Nobody cares. You're on your own, buddy. But that's not the way Joseph looked at it. He was confident of God's presence in prison and that God would reveal the meaning of these dreams. You know, if I were, if I were Joseph, I think I would, would have hesitated to be involved with anything with dreams. And, you know, more than that, he wants to know the dreams. And he said, doesn't the interpretation belong to God? And he asked to hear them. Joseph had no way of knowing that through one of these men, God would arrange to have him freed from prison eventually. Joseph didn't know that, but he cared about the people around him. He hadn't allowed bitterness to creep in because of how he'd been treated and in the circumstances that he found himself. He hadn't, he hadn't become hard and bitter. Instead, he noticed he could have been so despondent in that prison, thinking, I'll never get out of here. There's no way out. Obviously, I'm stuck here. The things God told me are never going to happen. That's not where Joseph was. Joseph was in the prison, but he had faith that God would fulfill those dreams. Because of this, Joseph was, this enabled Joseph to faithfully serve God and the people around him. He noticed when two men looked sad. I would guess that it's pretty common to look sad in prison. <laughs> but Joseph noticed something changed, and he asked them, why do you look so sad? He cared about the people he was responsible for. Joseph faithfully served God whether it was as a slave in Potiphar's house or as a prisoner in the pit. You know, since there was no Bible at that time, God communicated to men often through dreams and visions. And in, in Egyptian culture, dreams were very important. Egyptians believed that sleep actually put you in contact with the gods. Gary Enrig said, in Egyptian culture, the interpretation of dreams was viewed as a science, a special skill carried out by highly trained experts. Well, these men are sad and depressed because they're troubled. They've had these dreams, both of them on the same night, have these dreams, and they don't have access to highly skilled experts to tell them what these things mean, but they, they have a sense that the meaning of this, these dreams are very important, has something to do with their future, but they don't, they don't have any access to the experts to tell them what's going on. Joseph comes and offers, tell them to me, please. And he said the interpretation belongs to God. Let's read verses uh, 9 through 
through 15. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, the clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place or position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. Also, I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Pause there. Notice that from verse 14, when while Joseph was aware of God's presence and trusted him for the future, he was not passive. He did not sit in prison and do nothing. He saw an opportunity of possibly getting out of prison when this man is elevated back to his position in Pharaoh's court. And so he did something about it. He asked the chief butler to speak to Pharaoh when, when the dream comes true, when he is freed from prison, to speak to Pharaoh. Joseph believed so strongly that God had given him the interpretation of the dream that he immediately ask the butler to remember him when he's restored to his position. Moving on. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head. I'm going to pause there a moment. The um, several looked at uh, Several commentaries on this mentioned that what the word that's translated white here is actually baskets with holes. It's wicker baskets. These, so these, these wicker baskets are, are on his head. There were three white baskets on my head, and the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. A couple things about the baker's dream. One, in Egypt, birds were considered sacred. And because of this, they were protected. And the birds were prolific. They, they were a nuisance. And situations like the baker dreamed about were not unusual situations. Servants would carry a stack of baskets. They'd often have three baskets on top of their head, each one successively smaller, and they'd carry them across an open courtyard from the kitchen to the dining room. And as they did this, birds would be in the open courtyard just waiting for them to cross and would try to get to the baked goods on, on top of the, in the baskets. So a responsible baker 
would cover that top basket. It was very irresponsible to not have it covered. You know, it must have been really difficult for Joseph to interpret this dream for the baker. You know, he gave the butler really good news. That, you know, he could have enjoyed telling him, you're going to be free, and this is exciting. But now he has a tough job. Here's the baker looking to him, seeing that the butler got good, uh, good interpretation. He's excited and tells his dream. Now Joseph has to make a choice. Does he fudge on it and be vague and not tell him exactly what God showed him? Or will he tell the truth? And Joseph tells the truth. Difficult as it is, he tells him what God has showed him. And that in three days he'll be executed. Joseph was willing to tell the truth even when it was difficult. Not just when it was convenient. I'm going to read uh, to the end of the chapter. Starting in verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. Let me pause there a moment. We don't know for sure if it was Pharaoh's actual birthday or if it was the day the, of, um, it was the anniversary of when he ascended to the throne. Either way, it was a day that, uh, that they celebrated. Now, it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler to his butlership again. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Imagine the encouragement, the fulfillment of these dreams was to Joseph. I wonder how often Joseph wondered in the prison, did I not hear God correctly? Maybe it was my youthful ambition that as a teenager, maybe it wasn't really from God. Do you think he wrestled with doubt? I'm going to guess that Joseph was like the rest of us. He's a human who had to deal with doubt, most likely. We're not told that here. What we know is where he came out. Joseph chose faith. He chose to faithfully serve God. But imagine the encouragement, the fulfillment of these dreams was to Joseph. His dreams had not been fulfilled yet. But God had clearly given him the interpretation of these two men's dreams. And in three days, he saw it, he saw it come to pass just the way God had showed him. It must have really encouraged him and strengthened his faith. Verse 23 the last verse is a, is a sad one. You ever feel forgotten? Joseph had done a great thing for this man. He had interpreted his dream and encouraged him, but the man promptly forgot Joseph and did nothing. We're going to see in the next chapter, it was a full two years before he remembered Joseph. This man forgot, the chief butler forgot Joseph, but God didn't. 
Going only by his circumstances, Joseph had plenty of reason to doubt the goodness of God or that God cared about him at all, but Joseph chose to cling to God and faithfully serve him and the people around him, no matter where he was or what others around him did. Do you feel forgotten? Or is there a situation that I'm facing now that I can see no way out? Does it cause me to doubt God's goodness? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. When I faithfully follow God, He will direct me, just like He directed Joseph. To think this morning of a a song that I don't think we have in our songbooks. Uh, <clears throat> God's way is best. I'm going to read just a couple verses from this. God's way is best. If human wisdom a fairer way may seem to show, tis only that our earth-dimmed vision the truth can never clearly know. God's way is best. I will not murmur, although the end I may not see. Where'er he leads, I'll meekly follow. God's way is best, is best for me. Third verse says, He leadeth true, I will not question, though through the valley I shall go. Though I should pass through clouds of trial and drink the cup of human woe. God's way is best, I will not murmur. Although the end I may not see, where'er he leads, I'll meekly follow. God's way is best. It's best for me. Let's pause and pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can rely on you to always be there. Thank you for giving us the Bible, your word, and the rich, the stories that are there that we can look, see an overview of someone's life. We can see how you worked even through terrible suffering and unjust treatment, even through difficult circumstances, you worked to prepare Joseph for what you had for him in the future. Even though he wasn't able to see it at the time, Lord, I believe you work in our lives just like you worked in Joseph's life. Lord, you know what each one of us face. I pray, Lord, that we would remember the story of Joseph that you have given us and that you continue to work in every heart, even when it looks like we are forgotten, even when people forget us. We are not forgotten by you. You have a plan. You have a purpose, and we can trust you. Lord, may each of us faithfully serve you wherever we are in whatever situation we find ourselves and trust you with the future. Would you help each of us to do that this week as we go from here? We ask it in Jesus' name.